people start by talking a little bit. And most of the time, it's not so important. And then suddenly, it's like a, a big spaghetti. And suddenly, you find that meatball. <laughs> and that meatball is exactly what you have to draw. So it's that, that thing in the spaghetti that is the essence of what they're talking about. Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, Let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody. As technology evolves at a breakneck pace, concepts like the metaverse, artificial intelligence, digital twins can often seem abstract, esoteric, and quite honestly, overwhelming. Visual storytelling offers a unique way to break down these intricate ideas and narratives into easily digestible and memorable visuals, making them more accessible and comprehensible for a wider audience. My guest today has harnessed the power of visual storytelling to help organizations communicate more effectively, not only as an accomplished artist, but also a strategic thinker who has mastered the art of merging narratives into powerful visual stories. Axel Vanquier is the founder and CEO of DrawFi.com, a web-based platform that enables users to weave together stories through drawings contributed by numerous users and practitioners. Axel hails from Belgium, but travels around the world helping companies translate their stories into drawings. She's also the author of the book, Start to Draw, Visual Communication in the Workplace, which aims to help users create drawings that clarify complex strategic content and transform the viewer's perspective. Axel, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, thanks for having me, and thanks for the very complete introduction. Yeah, you're very welcome. You and I have had a discussion, obviously, before today, and your background on how you got here is is fascinating. You you started your journey wanting to see the world at a young age, and so you became a social nurse. Tell, tell us tell us about that, because I think that's fascinating. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, yeah, indeed. Uh, when I was 17, I went to high school, and my, my goal was to see the world, because I never wanted to stay in Belgium, and I also wanted to help people. So I always had the drive to help people and to see the world. So I was thinking, what kind of job can you do that enables you to travel around, always have a job, and in the meantime, help people? So I went for uh, nurse studies. But after two years, I realized that being a nurse was maybe not exactly my cup of tea. So I went for additional uh, study about social nurse, which basically means that you listen to people all, all day and that you help them by getting social services, money, jobs, things like that. So that was basically my first job, the first five years of my career. So that's uh, indeed something completely different as what I do today. The, the only uh, similar thing is that I also listen to stories all day today. And that was exactly the same when I worked for the social service. So indeed, that's a bit of a off-track <laughs> career. 
There was also a part where you had some type of a career job with an HR. There were a couple of other steps, I think, before you got here, which again, makes it even more fascinating because it had nothing really to do with what you do today, but it created a foundation. Yeah. Truth. That attracted you to visual storytelling, right? Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I tend to change jobs every five years, four or five years. Um, so uh, after I was a social nurse, I started a temporary work agency for nurses, which was pretty much selecting nurses and placing them in hospitals and things like that. So that was my job then. And from there, I uh, evolved to an HR and communication function at the city of Antwerp. And doing that job, I started to begin a little bit with a more creative work because I was doing communication. So that meant that I had to create communication channels like flyers and so on. So I went to academy and I started doing some more creative things like graphic design because I wasn't creative for like 20 years. I, I drew a little bit as a child, but then I stopped completely. I, I forgot that I was creative even. So I started doing graphic design. Then I became a consultant in communication for uh, smaller companies and those smaller companies I helped to define their strategy, uh, define mission and vision and translate that to their uh, workforce. And then one day I also was a conflict mediator because when you work with smaller companies there are conflicts all the time, all the time, especially the management of the companies. <laughs> sure. So, so I, I went to a training as a conflict mediator um, because I wanted to solve those conflicts. And one day I was at an event about conflict management and there was someone drawing what the keynote speaker was talking about. And I remember that I was looking at her and I was thinking, oh my God, if that's your job, you standing there drawing, listening, summarizing, and you get paid for that, that must be awesome. Then you must be the yeah. most uh, happy person in the world. So that was the first time that I ran into that kind of job. I didn't know it existed. Yeah. So, so your prior, between being a nurse and being in HR, obviously those are roles that require you to be a very good listener. Yeah. Um, yeah. You taught yourself to be an artist, right? I was going to yeah. ask you where the creative, as somebody who went to school to be an architect, I always loved to draw. That's why mm-hmm. I was attracted to that. Did, did you have... Any background in from a creative side in terms of drawing or anything like that? Or was it all taught after the fact? When I was like between, let's say, 10 and 16, I was drawing a lot at home, but not not really. I was better than my sisters. <laughs> Am I maybe better than <laughs> That's always average? a plus. <laughs> <laughs> but that was not so difficult to be better than my right. sisters. I may be better than the average of the class, but I was not like huge talent or something. And I also went to drawing school yeah. for two years. But yeah, you know, when you're 15, 16, you have other things to do as a, as a girl. <laughs> so I stopped that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was creative, but it was not like I was the biggest drawing talent or anything, which, by the way, is not necessary for this job. But yeah. You know, I think the thing that's amazing, if you watch a court stenographer that takes notes in in court, I always thought that was impressive, especially if you look at the shorthand that they use on the stenography uh, on the machine. Mm. I think the idea of actively listening and then having to create a visual while it's happening is really impressive. And and I've read a little bit about, I think it was in one of your eBooks that you had published. I read that your approach to creating compelling visual stories has multiple attributes that in my mind parallel how a good journalist creates a story for a newspaper or even a movie screenwriter would approach their work. Can you walk the listeners through kind of the process 
of how you set yourself up. You're going to be in a room. Um, whether or not there's conflict, we don't know yet, but you're going to be in a room. People are going to be talking back and forth. You're in front of your board. What are the types of things that in your mind you're thinking, I have to capture who's in the room? What are they talking about? Uh, why are we talking about this, right? Are, are those all the elements that go in the process? Yeah, yeah, true indeed. So the first thing I always think about is, okay, what's, what could be the main title? And sometimes it's something you do beforehand, sometimes afterwards when you don't know what's going to be the title. Uh, so that's always the first thing. I never start with a with a blank or sheet of paper. It's always, I always start with a, a main message and then I put some drawing on it so that it's not white. When it's white, it's really it's scary. So, and then indeed, then the longer I do it, the longer I wait before I start even doing something. So I just, I first listen. And sometimes it can be that I listen for five or 10 minutes before I start doing something because people tend to go around the subject. And especially when it's a conversation, when it's a keynote speaker, it's different because a keynote speaker always starts with the most important. He always will say, I will do this and this and this, and then I will do that and that. So that's the most important part of the of the whole keynote is the five minutes. If you miss that one, it's really hard to structure the whole drawing. But conversation is the opposite. People start by talking a little bit, and most of the time it's not so important. And then suddenly it's like a a big spaghetti, and suddenly you find that meatball, <laughs> and that meatball is exactly what you have to draw. So it's that that thing in the spaghetti that is the essence of what they're talking about, and especially when they when it's really important, they come back on that subject. So I'm really listening to okay, what is this about? If this one thing that people should remember from this drawing, what would it be? What's the first thing they have to see? And then I start building around that. What are the aspects that are connected with that. A little bit like a mind map, maybe, that you can see, okay, that's, a mo- that's the essence, and that could, that could add a little bit more to the story. So I'm always listening to stories. And that's what people sometimes don't understand. Don't understand. They say, oh, but it goes so fast, and you are simultaneously, because it's, it's true. I, when the story is finished, I'm finished. But that's because I'm constantly summarizing what they're saying in small stories, and I try to capture those quotes and stories so that the the whole makes sense. So that's the that's indeed that's it's really like a journalist. What's happening? Why is it important? Who is involved? How does the life change changes of those people? Is it a flow or is it maybe something that goes back and forth? So that's all the things I'm constantly listening to. So I'm not listening to the details at all or to the words. I'm constantly on the surface like in a helicopter or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah so so to that point I'm in product innovation. So, you know, my job is to look at technology trends, look at business problems, and then come up with ideas that can help solve those problems. I tell people I get paid to daydream. It's a great job. Yeah. Um, but, but technology, nevertheless, can be very esoteric. I mentioned digital twins and metaverse and all the things that we're hearing. And undoubtedly, that's part of some of the conversations you have with some of your customers. So the two questions I have, the first question is, and I think you may have answered it, is... Do you find you get hung up because I assume there's things that you hear that you may not understand because you're not mm-hmm. a technologist or other reason when somebody's talking about a metaverse or AI you're able to get around and over that and still be able to get the core of the message without necessarily needing to understand what say a particular technology is yeah am I accurate yeah. in that 
which I think is yeah. amazing again. <laughs> exactly. So even I dare to say, I dare say that if I'm really into the topic, like HR, for instance, I know a lot about, about HR or communication. It's sometimes even harder to stick to the essence because I know too much. So I, I tend to go into detail. Well, sure. if you're talking about digital twins, I know, I know what it is because I have been drawing about it. I have been working a lot for, yeah, I don't know if I can mention names. Anyway, big IT conferences. So digital twins, I didn't know what it was. The first time I heard about it and I had to draw it, I never, I didn't know what it was. So that was interesting. I was, I had to find out what the digital twin was based on what the keynote speaker was talking about in a room full of IT people who knew what digital twins were. So that's really interesting because then you have to look for, okay, and what is, what is that now? And, and how could that look like? digital twin it's not a twin <laughs> so it's that's that makes it really interesting you really have to find the story behind those buzzwords that people are using and that's the most interesting part so indeed i don't have to understand it although i must say the first time i had to draw about quantum computing it was a professor in quantum computing and no one in the room understood it by the way me right. neither <laughs> so yeah. it was really hard to draw that one <laughs> Now yeah. that's that's interesting. Which, when you think about it, with all the conversations you've had, and and the ability and the fact that you are listening and you're drawing, which is one of the attributes in humans that you know they say when you take manual notes and you're also listening, you have a higher rate of retention. It's almost like you're getting an education. You yourself are getting an education, and it's amazing to me of what you probably have retained. Mm-hmm. when things come up just because whether or not you completely understood it now mm-hmm. when somebody says digital twin or quantum computing or, or some other uh, you know some other technology for example i'm sure a light bulb goes off along the same lines with technology when you actually the actual act of of drawing you're from from what i've seen it's very manual you're not doing this on an ipad or a tablet or anything else it's marker in hand on a board is, is that accurate or, or no mm-hmm. Uh, well, before COVID, it was it was like ninety five percent on paper or foam board or maybe ninety nine percent. But during COVID, of course, that changed completely because yeah, sure. uh, we worked remotely, and so we started working on the iPad. And now I think it's almost fifty fifty. I think I work fifty percent of the time on the iPad and fifty percent on paper. Or because they you can also and that was a nice thing about COVID, they can hire me around the world online. So if there's a meeting of one hour. Before it was impossible. If you have a meeting in Phoenix, for instance, you're not going to fly me in for a meeting of one hour. So, sure. you, but now it's possible if it's an online meeting, it's possible. So that that during COVID it happened that I was in three different continents in one day. So um, wow, that's nice. <laughs> and that, wow. it was a really long day, of course, because I had to work really early and really late. <laughs> Everything. Your address really is the world, not just Belgium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's so awesome. no, it's uh, it's not only manual. Although I must say that I still prefer the markers and the paper. That the feeling of that is, yeah. So w- one of the things I want to talk about is you know visuals. You know we've heard the adage a picture's worth a thousand words and so forth. And I think there's an emotional reaction when people see a visual. I came across this quote from Mary Catherine uh, Bateson. She's actually the daughter of Margaret Mead, so cultural anthropologist and American writer. And the quote was, the human species thinks in metaphors and learns through stories. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I and I love that for what we're talking about today. And and I'm curious to get your perspective on how does visual storytelling engage in emotions and keep people engaged in the conversations that you're a part of? Yeah, yeah, that's that's indeed a very nice quote. I'm going to look that up and keep it or, or use it. Um, well, first of all, it's the story part, of course. If you, it's true that people connect through stories, they remember stories much better. You can sometimes remember a story of that you heard 20 years ago and still don't forget the story. And, you want that won't happen with a text that you have been reading without a story. So that's the first thing, the story. But then, of course, the visual, what I've seen, I, I have been doing facilitation without visuals before I knew how to do it. So then it was on a flip chart and just with words. And people see words and think, oh, yeah, okay, words, yeah. And they contribute or not, and it's okay. But the moment you start using visuals, they... You have so much more power. And then Rome, I don't know if you know him, it's a famous guy in the US <laughs> about visual storytelling. Uh, he said once, the person who holds the pen has the power. And that's really true because if you are standing, for instance, at a flip chart and you have that pen in your hand, people look at it. They will look at what's appearing on that paper. So somehow that, that really draws the attention and people really connect it with that. And then... If you involve them and they will see their words appearing in visuals on the paper, they will be much more motivated to contribute because everyone (laughs) wants his or her words on that paper in a visual. So that's a big difference that I've seen when I was doing with or without visuals. And indeed, then you have, of course, it's true that that's called dual coding, that text is processed in a different part in our brain than visuals. So if you combine them, people engage much better with it and they remember much better than only with visuals or only with text. So the combination of both is really, really powerful. And then, of course, you also see that when you visualize something, people relate much better to that because, yeah, it's different than a word. They can also say, I don't agree with your visual, for instance. I had it once. Um, It was a, a bank, a big bank. And uh, it w- there was a bad atmosphere because the bank was uh, reorganizing, restructuring. And I have been drawing, I had been drawing a graveyard because they said that they felt they were dying. So I, but they didn't see me. They were sitting with the back to me. And then suddenly they looked at my drawing. They saw that graveyard and they said, oh, is that the way how we express ourselves? So by giving back a metaphor, it's different. If I would have been drawing, uh, writing, we're dying, it's different. When they see a graveyard, they say, oh, oh, we are sad. <laughs> it's, it's really bad. You know, so the, the metaphor helps to, uh, yeah, to make something more powerful, yeah. I was going to ask you if, if you've ever finished the, the visual and somebody looked at it and said, uh, that's not what I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it it, it kind of changes the perspective uh, mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. One, because you become the conduit to the visual Mm-hmm. So you hear dying, and from a visual perspective, graveyard. Yeah. And yet, and yet, to the person saying it, it probably had quotes around it. So I again, I think that's fascinating. The other thing that you've mentioned, I've heard in in public sessions, is you've talked about aiming for the right body part. 
oh, when yeah. it comes to visual storytelling. Yeah. Can you share what you mean by that? Because I think that's an interesting analogy yeah. since we're talking about graveyards and body parts and everything else. <laughs> well, wow. uh, it's not my invention. I learned it or stole it or whatever from Jeroen de Flander, which is a, a facilitator, a strategic facilitator in Belgium, who, by the way, brought me into the U.S. for the first time for visual sorting, selling. And he says that we aim way too often for the wrong body parts when we want to involve people in a story or in a strategy or in a communication. So what we tend to do is to aim for the heads. So we try to convince people with information, with data, with uh, numbers, all the facts and figures. So that's what we typically do when we communicate change or other things. What we also tend to do is communicate about the hands. So what should people do? The call to action. But what we don't do enough is aim for the heart. So the big why, and the start with the why from Simon Sinek, it's, it, sounds, it sounds so obvious, but no one is doing it or not enough. Why, why would you go with us in this transformation? Why would you change? Why, whatever. That's... It's something that people tend to forget. So that's the heart. Why is it important for you, for us, for the world? That's indeed the aim for the right body part. And that's so much easier to do with a story or a visual than with words. So that's uh, indeed. Are there specific types of companies or industries that you find are more predisposed to hiring somebody like yourself uh, to do visual storytelling as part of whatever, the, whether it's technology or finance or anything else. Is there any pattern that you see within your business where some are more inclined to do that or more interested in something like that and others who are, we're just going to go do it the way we've always done it? If I would make a ranking of the top clients, then the, the top three would probably be banking, IT, and medical and pharma. <laughs> and it's maybe because they have the money to pay us. <laughs> that could be <laughs> that sure. could be the reason. But it could also be because what, and, and maybe it's less for pharmacy, but what they bring across is very technical and very often more aiming for the head, maybe. <laughs> and that they want to add something that is more, making it more accessible. That's And that's this podcast is all about that, of course. So making that technology and and uh, that kind of things and, and finance more accessible to more people. So I think that has to do something with it. And also the pharma and medical, it's very often really difficult and complex what they try to bring across. So their drawing can help also, of course. Most people, when I think when you think about in business in particular and enterprise in particular, when you think about telling stories visually, people think PowerPoint. To you, how has visual storytelling in the way you do it, has it evolved or changed in the face of, you know, the death by PowerPoint that we talk about all the time and yet I can tell you because I'm also a big fan of having this, understanding the story. So if mm -hmm. I do a PowerPoint presentation that I created for myself for some reason, the story is what drives the PowerPoint. And I've always told people, when you understand and can recite the narrative, you don't even need the slides. Mm -hmm. You can walk into any room at any time and tell a compelling story. And yet 99% of the time when I present a PowerPoint presentation that is interesting visually as well as the story. 99% of the time I get asked, first question I get is, can I get a copy of the PowerPoint? Mm -hmm. Nobody ever asks me, can you teach me that narrative? 
Can you tell me how to tell that story? How do you look at other mediums like PowerPoint, especially in enterprise, with what you do? And do you see there's a greater appreciation and and attraction to the type of visual storytelling that you do versus the traditional methods like PowerPoint? Yeah, well, of course, it's more rare that they see people like us and the work we do. So, of course, it attracts much more attention than a PowerPoint. That's for sure. But I'm not against PowerPoint. I, I never use it or never used it. But it can be used in a really, really powerful way. If you apply the same things as we apply in our work in PowerPoint, it becomes a very powerful tool. If you add storytelling, if you add visuals, and not only visuals, but yeah, the only thing with PowerPoint is, of course, it's a linear process. It's a slide, slide, right. slide. And right. that's the whole thing. And our brain is not linear. And we don't talk linear. That's the whole thing about PowerPoint that makes it so difficult. So that's that's maybe better or easier with, with the drawing. But there are also people that come to me and say, oh, my God, I'm sorry, but I don't understand. I don't understand why you are why you are here. I don't understand your drawing. It's it's terrible. I can't I can't follow it. It's not linear enough. So, I think boards are fine. Um, a, a drawing can be can be really bad. Also, it can be really bad. Also, so it, it's not always the best solution. But if you apply the same rules to a PowerPoint, then I think you can have very nice PowerPoints. I know keynote speakers with amazing PowerPoints that tell the story really really well. Yeah. And and also, yeah, you can add sometimes a little bit more information in the PowerPoint. I must also say that I see, yeah, I see the most of PowerPoints in the world. And it's it makes me sometimes even angry that I really think, what you think are you doing? What do you really think people are listening to you now? <laughs> I think it's interesting as somebody who does quite a bit of public speaking and presentations of the type that, that you see in these conferences. I've always gravitated towards the individuals that use PowerPoints, but they use them just to backdrop the narrative. One word, one picture, mm-hmm. and yeah. there's 250 slides, but because they've practiced the way they have, uh, Lawrence Lessig, you know, an attorney and studied economics and management at University of Pennsylvania and so forth, he's one of the practitioners that I've seen use that style, and I've seen him in person. And it's the most impressive thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And yet when I've tried to do a presentation where I had to provide the presentation to the conference committee and they said, you have 15 minutes, but you have, you know, a hundred slides because they don't understand the process. They said, you have to change, you have to change the presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that because I've certainly tried to change my style to gravitate towards that. Mm-hmm. So speaking of tools like PowerPoint, let's talk about Drawify. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the website. As a prep to this, I actually signed up. You created a website. There's lots of similar websites. I'm sure you get asked about it. Mm-hmm. Was there a specific gap or an approach that you wanted to take with your version of a website that allows somebody to go in and create some of this that you saw as a gap in in other tools? Because it definitely is, it's both familiar for somebody mm-hmm. like myself who uses this, but it's also different in a very enlightened way. The graphics, first of all, are great because you've basically taken other illustrators, professional mm-hmm. artists who are contributing to this community where I can go in and I can create something that looks like Axel created it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Obviously, it won't be as good, but using using the templates was that kind of the idea? Yeah, yeah. So it did. It started during COVID. So when I was home, and after I cleaned up my house, and I still had some time left before I felt that business was going to take uh, up again. So I was thinking, okay, what what are my clients asking, or what were they asking last couple of years, or maybe what kind of people am don't have access to what I'm doing today, and how could I? create something that gives them access to visual storytelling. So that was the idea, how I started with it. And I had the idea already a few years ago, but I never had time to do something with it. So a lot of clients want something visual. They want to create something visual with handmade drawings, but don't have the time or the money to hire someone to, to make it. So I thought if I put my work, and it started first like that, if I put my work on the platform and my clients can use it. So that was the first idea. And then I thought, oh, why would I do all that work only for my drawings? So I started contacting a few rockstar graphic recorders that I knew if they wanted to work with me on that platform. And they all said, yes, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> and they didn't know anything about it. They didn't know anything. They just followed me. So I'm so grateful for that. So we started with like 10, 15 people putting all a lot of work on, on the platform indeed. So to answer your question, so I know a lot of people compare us with platforms like Canva and things like that. But indeed, we wanted to fill in that gap of the visual storytelling with handmade drawings that we really want to make it look different. So not like the next layout you've seen from your colleague or neighbor or whatever, but that you really can create something more unique using those handmade drawings. Yeah, we also are aware, since it's all handmade, that very often you can't find what you need so that you, you can ask it. You, you haven't probably done it in, in your free account <laughs> because there is not possible, but you can ask the, 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 the artists to create something to put on the platform. So we, I really want to make that human connection between the person who is using the platform and then the people who are contributing to the platform. That was a gap I wanted to fill. <laughs> Yeah. So it sounds like the the artists, the illustrators that you currently have on the platform, how do you become one of them? Do you it sounds like you curate them based on either people that you know or or others in the community. Is is that the way that you add them to the platform? In the beginning, I contacted them, but now of course people see it and they want to be part of it and they contact me. So that's that's easier. <laughs> so they contact me and then and then there are a few things they we talk about. So the first of all is the motivation, why they want to do it, because if they think they become rich of it, yeah, then I have to uh, disappoint them. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It gives a lot of fulfillment also because you see your drawings used uh, all over the world. And it's a very nice community of amazing people. And we, we come together and we have meetings together. And, and that's the, the most important reason why people do it, because our job, how awesome our job is, it's a lonely job. You are very often working on your own. So having a, a community where you belong to, that's something that people want to make uh, be part of. So yeah, then we have a chat and there are technical things. And, and, and once that's done, uh, yeah, we um, onboard them <laughs> on the platform. I, I think the other thing when you go through your kind of the, the directory is there's little taglines. Like I see your diversity and energy mm -hmm. and you have other people... The one, Clara, is the best of humans. Mm -hmm. Is that supposed to denote, first of all, I think it's interesting because I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I think it denotes a little bit of how they look at the mm -hmm. way they create illustrations. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, true. So Clara is a psychologist from a background. So that's why it's oh, best wow. of humans because she's really, she she has a lot of humans on her, on the platform, but she's really 
yeah, she's really that kind of person. Diversity and energy is because I, I'm not consistent in my, in my drawings. Even <laughs> if I have thousand drawings and, it, and there's not one consistent style in my drawings. It's like, I, it's like who I am. I am never consistent in my life, like I said before. And also, yeah, there's always, always a lot of energy also <laughs> in the work I do. So indeed, we, we try to summarize somehow a little bit the identity of people. Yeah, and that's what's really neat is because when I click through some of these, being an artist isn't their only job for a lot of these people. No, right. Yeah. And so no, I think yeah. that's I think that's mm-hmm. so interesting from the perspective that if I'm looking for a specific kind of drawing, a specific kind of look, here's Eric. He's a polymath visual storyteller. Yeah, very cool. If you're looking for a polymath style <laughs> illustration, but I think that's an interesting way to portray not just the uh, sort of the different perspective that you'd get, but I love the diversity in in backgrounds. I I think, you know, one of the things that my team and I have identified in doing this podcast for a year and a half now is almost every single guest that we've had Mm -hmm. has a, a side of them that does what they do because they're trying to either give back or they believe that there's some contribution to be given to the world mm-hmm. based on what they know. Here's my piece. And the reason I love this directory and hearing the background is because I see the same, obviously, in yourself and why you got into this, helping mm-hmm. people, seeing the world, obviously. How do we combine those? That's exciting. It's more, it's more proof of what we can accomplish when we bring some interesting individuals together with a common goal. So you also have webinars and tutorials and things like that that you do. And I know part of your business is helping to train individuals, employees mm-hmm. of a company, how to become proficient as visual storytellers. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it to train somebody to be able to do even one iota of what you do just to be able to improve the way they tell stories today? Does it take a long time? What's kind of the process that you try to go through with mm-hmm. teaching somebody else to be able to do this yeah well believe it or not but the easiest part of the whole training is the drawing part <laughs> and <Yeah>. most people <laughs> come in and say oh you will you have probably never met someone like me who, who is so bad at drawing as me so that's that's what right. most people say so they're always proud of being a very very bad artist and after one hour they are very much impressed by themselves and i always say it's probably the, the steepest learning curve you ever had in your life. So that's that's to it. That that part, the visual part, is really easy. What people very often are disappointed about is about that. Mm, it's not about drawing. Yes, I can draw a person. Yes, I can draw a light bulb. But it's much more than that. It's storytelling and it's summarizing and listening and doing both together. That is what surprises people always. They they think they can't do it because they can't draw, but then they find out they can't do it because. They, are, they don't know how to combine those different things together. And I always compare it with driving a car. So when I started driving a car uh, 30 years ago, no, even more than 30 years ago, I remember that I had to do like, it felt like I had to do 20 things on the same moment. So like, it, I, it felt impossible. And today when I drive a car, I can eat an apple, I can put my makeup, I can listen to music, I can talk to people, I can do everything together while I'm driving that car. It's exactly the same with visual storytelling. And when people start, I always say, start with some something you're used to do. So if you are a good listener and you know how to write on the flip chart, 
focus on this part and add only one visual layer to that, one thing, and, and then build up from there. If you are used to draw already something, well, do that. But don't try to do everything at once. Do it step by step. Start with some, something you know and then build further. And then it's practice, practice, practice. When I started with it, it's two-day training. That's all. And three months later, I had my first paid job. And what I did in between was just listening to television, to uh, awful, boring debates, political debates. And I was in my sofa drawing the debates. And that's how I practiced. Because that's, wow. like I said, listening and summarizing, that's probably the most important thing you have to learn. And that's not something you can do in a training. You just have to make mistakes and learn from that. So what's next for you and DrawFi? Is there anything in particular that you're excited about going into, you know, 2023, 2024 in terms of the business? Huh. Um, <laughs> more things that you that you wanted. There's got to be more. I mean, you've, you've, you've come this far and it all works. And it sounds like it's fantastic, but what are you, what are sort of your big bets? What are you hoping would happen? Well, the first thing, if you're talking about DrawFi, is really scaling that thing. <laughs> I really want to reach the whole world and we are reaching the world in terms of countries, but I really want to scale up and go much, much uh, yeah, bigger than what we are now. That's a big bet probably. And then of course, with everything that's going on with AI, I can't stay behind. And so the next thing will be that we add an AI layer to Droify. In that sense, it will always stay a human thing. So we are not going to generate drawings from someone else. But what we want to do is generate the visual story so that based on the text you put in, that we suggest a format, a visual format. So you don't have to do the work. You can still choose the style and the drawings, everything. But we want to suggest, based on the content you give, what your visual story could look like. So that's the the next thing we're working on right now. And if we wow. find, if we find enough funding, by the way, <laughs> so in case someone is listening, <laughs> or if you're looking for beta customers when you get it to that point, yeah, me, yeah. Well, I, I will uh, I will contact you. <laughs> it will take another month, a few months, I think. But yeah, that's that's the next thing. And then, of course, and that's I, I, it's not for tomorrow. But imagine that you could have a, a whole visual summary after a podcast like this, just by listening and translating and. That's, of course, the next thing. I'm not going to replace us. That's not uh, the case. But it could make it even more accessible to even more people. So that's everything I want. That's making it accessible to anyone in the world. So, yeah. Well, even with the AI that's out there now, you hear about human supervised. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, there's a new... There's a new uh, job role that's emerging called a prompt engineer. That yeah, you may have seen, I heard about it. Yes. Where, where all you do is you talk. English is the requirement. That's the programming language is yeah. you talk with uh, the the AI with chat GPT or GPT yeah. and, and others and try to come up with ways to ask it questions yeah. to gain more accuracy. So yeah. it's certainly a, a brand new world that we're in. Before we wrap up, one more question I have for you. Can you share one of your favorite visual storytelling projects and why it stands out? Is there any one that you've done? Again, you don't have to give names of customers and things like mm -hmm. that, but is there any one project that you've worked on that when you look back at it, you go, wow, that's that was interesting to say the least? Yeah, yeah. Well, there is one and there are more, of course. Sometimes it's really interesting because of a specific speaker. 
But there was one, I always want to have impact. So that's that's everything. I always want to inspire people and, and I want to have impact. That, that always drives me. So a few years ago, I was hired by a project uh, of a big German uh, retail company that obviously, like every retail company, buys from factories in, in Asia, like China, India, and so on. And like in many factories, there are issues with human rights. And they had a kind of audit for human rights, but that doesn't work because, yeah, you do an audit, you go away, and then, yeah, people are behaving differently and, and the problem still stayed there. So they decided to send facilitators into the company, in, into the companies, the factories, to have a conversation with the workers and the managers to talk about human rights and to see where the human rights were not respected. So those facilitators had to go into the factories, but of course you have a big difference in education between managers and workers. So what they asked us to do is to train people to work in a visual way, because if you enter the factory and you make it visual and you make people draw together instead of talking together, or at least you combine it, the drawing and the talking, you bring those people much more at the same level as if you wouldn't do that. Right. So I trained those facilitators to go into the factories and to draw. And then yeah, I went several times to those Asian countries. I was involved for a few years in that project. And that I think that's the most interesting thing, especially I'm, I'm not working in that project anymore, but I'm still in the WhatsApp group. <laughs> so I see the whole time what they're doing with it and how those visuals are used in those factories. And it can be... They sometimes they make a poster parade that women, for instance, show what it is to be harassed at work, sexually harassed or other things. It's really, really impactful how those drawing skills have been used after the training we have foreseen. And that's, that's I think, if I would look back at the 12 years of my career in visual storytelling, I think that's one of the most impactful, for me at least. So it's not really graphic recording, it's more training, but if you see the impact of that, it's, it's really it's really fulfilling, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's powerful for sure. Axel, thank you for sharing your insights and experiences with us today. It's been fascinating as I expected it to be. Thank you. Uh, to learn about the power of visual storytelling, how it can transform communications, and it sounds like the that practice is in good hands with what you and your company, Drawify, have been, have been doing. So thanks again. Thanks for having me again. And it was a very nice conversation. Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action. And for more Lumen news, at Lumen Tech Co. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show. And I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.